We have begun a series that uh, is actually more than just a preaching series, if you will. Um, This is the theme for the entire year in our church, reboot and rebuild. You know, there are times when, uh, when you just need to reboot, you know, the, uh, the computer's just, just, it's frozen. Uh, something's goofy with it. Uh, I, you, you, most of the time you can't tell exactly what's going on. It's just cattywampus, you know, it's just not doing what it's supposed to do. Well, you, you got two or three options when that happens. Um, you know, one, you can take it to Geek Squad and you can pay them to figure it out. Or two, you can call tech support or you can call Matt Miller or whatever it is. You know, call somebody. Whoever you take it to or whoever you call, their first question is going to be, did you try to reboot it? That's the first option when something goes wrong. You, you, you just turn the thing off. Give it a couple of seconds and turn it back on. And what happens when it starts, when it it gets turned back on, it starts up again. Well, it clears out all the stuff that was was all hung up and in the wrong place and miscommunicating. It just kind of clears all that out. It resets everything. And nine times out of ten, it'll solve the problem and you'll be ready to go again, at least temporarily. You just need to reboot sometimes. We're that way too. Sometimes we just get, we just kind of get stuck. We, we get confused. We go through a difficult time and, and we just have a hard time figuring out how to make life make sense. And we just need to reboot. Well, the worship team pretty well all agreed that after the earlier service, we just needed a reboot before this service, you know, we just, you, you, sometimes you just have that experience, you just need to, need to start over. Well, after the year we've had together, we, we just need a reboot. But not only do we need a reboot, we need to, we need to rebuild. It's going to take us some time to put all the programs back in place and get everybody back in their spot. We, 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 you know, we still have to wait until everybody's healthy and, and, and um, things, are, things are going uh, better on that front. And there, there's just a lot going on there. We, we did suffer some losses in different kinds of different ways, different, a variety of different types of losses that we're gonna have to recover from. We're gonna have to go through a time of rebuilding. So we're going to start that process with this little preaching series. It's going to take us a few weeks together. And first, we'll talk about what it means to reboot. We're going to look at some scriptures that talk about renewal. And then we're going to settle in Nehemiah as we look at what it means to rebuild. Nehemiah was um, one of the greatest rebuilders of all time. And so when we, when we get to the time where we're talking about rebuilding, we'll just camp out there in Nehemiah for a while. You may remember we started last week uh, talking about what matters most. And we remembered that Jesus told us our top two priorities in life. And while they're not always easy to do, they are simple to understand. Those top two priorities in life are to love God, and love people. 
And if we start there, then we can reboot and rebuild together. But we have to start there. It's got to be about God, and we've got to love each other. And then together, we'll rebuild. So this morning, I want us to move on into uh, uh, hearing some of Scripture about renewal. And what we're going to do is hear some old words for new times. We're going to listen to some old words for the new times. We're going to hear three different voices from the Old Testament. Three different prophets are going to speak this morning. And we, uh, we want to hear those three voices, those old words, as they prepare us for this new time. We want to begin in Isaiah chapter 43. If you have your copy of scripture with you, I want to encourage you to look with me in Isaiah chapter 43, and we're going to begin at verse 16. This is just kind of a starting place, a, a diving off spot, if you will, for us. Uh, but we want to start here in Isaiah 43 at verse 16. And as we begin to read and think through this, this passage together, we're going to hear Isaiah say to us, we know that God can start something new. We know God can start something new. Let's look at it. Chapter 43, beginning in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. You may have caught on there that he is making reference to the time that he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He set them free, led them out of Egypt, and he was going to take them to Canaan, to the promised land. As they left Egypt, however, they found themselves at the Red Sea. And so there is this great barrier that is blocking their progress in front of them. And behind them, there is danger. Because Pharaoh's army is chasing them down. And so they're stuck. They can't move forward and they can't turn back. And they have no way to go. And then God did what God does and he made a way where there was no way. And he parted the waters. He opened the sea. So there is a wall of water on each side and dry land beneath their feet. And the people of Israel walked across the sea, walked across on dry land. And once they made their way to the other side, Pharaoh's army came and chased them. Pharaoh's army got to the middle of the sea, and just as they got to the middle of the sea, the walls of water collapsed. The sea filled itself again, and it extinguished, is the word Isaiah used. It took the bad dudes out. Here he says, this thus says the Lord. And we say, well, now, who, who, is, who, who are you, Lord? Why, why should I listen to you? What, by what authority are you speaking to me? He says, thus says the Lord. I'm the one who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, I'm the one who brought forth those chariots and horses, armies and warriors. Now they lie down. Why? Because they're dead. They cannot rise. They're extinguished. 
Just like you blow out a candle, I blew out an entire army, he says. It is upon that standard that I now am going to tell you what you need to hear, the Lord says through Isaiah. He says in verse 18, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now, it seems odd at first that he would say, remember that I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that parted the sea. I'm the one that made a way where there was no way. I'm the one who took out Pharaoh's army. And as soon as he says, remember that I did those things, now he says, but don't dwell on the past. You see what he's doing? He's saying he is... He is saying, because of what you know I've done in your past, you know you can trust me with your future. Because I have made a way where there was no way so many times in your life, now that you're up against another obstacle, you need not fear because you know I got this. So he says, remember who I am, but don't dwell on the past. It's, it's similar to what Jesus said, he who puts his hand to the plow but looks back is not fit for the kingdom. It's similar to what Paul said when he said this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. You see, it's not that we, it's not that we forget what God has done for us. But it is that we don't bring that to mind and focus on it. We don't dwell on the past. God got us through 2020. In a lot of ways, he took care of us. It was tough. It was hard. It was messy. It was nasty. It was mean. But he got us through. And he took care of us in many different ways. Now that we know he will, we know he can, we can trust that he will continue. But that doesn't mean that we sit around and mope and feel sorry for ourselves as we look back at the hard times. So he says, remember not the former things. That word remember means to bring it to mind. Don't keep thinking about it. He says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. To consider means to keep working on it, to, to kind of kick it around in your brain and look at it in all different. He said, don't dwell on that stuff. I proved my point when I took care of you last time. Now, let 2020 be 2020. Leave it behind. Because verse 19, behold, I am doing a new thing. I love that word behold. To behold means to notice, to see. It, it, it's not just to get a glimpse of, but it is to focus on something. Behold, I, I would say, look at this. And when you look at that, then you're beholding it. And so the, the Lord says through the prophet, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now. He says, it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Look at it. Pay attention. Don't let God start something new in your life that you don't even notice. Watch for it. 
Leave the old stuff behind and start looking for the new things that he's doing. The guy ran into the newspaper office and he was mad. He went into the newspaper office and he found the editor and he said, you printed my name in the obituaries, but I'm not dead. I want you to print a retraction. And the editor said, I never print retractions. But what I'll do is tomorrow I'll add your name to the birth announcements and you can kind of start over. Well, it doesn't work that way, does it? But God says to us, leave the past and notice I'm starting something new. You get a new start, a new chance, a new beginning. Who knows where we're headed, but we do know who's leading. He says then in the bottom of 19, he says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He said, I already made a way in the sea. Now I'm going to make a way in the wilderness. He says, you're going through a dry time. You and I have been through a dry and weary place. It's been hot. It's been, it's been desolate. It's been hard. But he says, I'm going to make a way through that as well. And he says, the way it's going to work is I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The desert is a dry place. There's not water. But he says, I'm fixing to turn on the faucet and the rivers are going to flow through the desert of your life. I'm, I'm about to get started and it's going to be something. He says the, in 20 and 21, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself that, I might that they might declare my praise. He says even the critters are going to be rejoicing when they get to drink of the water that I'm bringing. Now, understand he is, he is speaking prophetically. He's, there's not literally going to be rivers in, in, in the wilderness. He's saying, just like the people walk through the wilderness and I take care of them, you're going through a hard time. I'm going to take care of you. At this time, these, he's speaking to the people who are in exile. They're in Babylon. The last half, give or take, the last part of Isaiah, we believe, was written during the time of exile when the people are in Babylon. And he says, it's going to be hard and you're going to have to come home and it's going to be hard to get here, but I'm going to make a way. You're going to get here. The rivers are going to flow again in the desert. And then he says, even the wild beasts are going to rejoice. Now, the, that gets... A little confusing because different translations even list different critters. We're, sometimes it can be hard to know exactly which animal was, was referred to by what name. And then when you translate what they called it into a new language and we even call it something different, it gets very confusing. So some of, your, some of your translations might talk about owls instead of ostriches or whatever. It's not important. The important thing is these are the wild animals. These are not domesticated critters. These are not cute little pets. These are not 
kitties and doggies. These are wild animals. And the point is, where do the wild animals live? They live in the wild. They live where things have not been developed yet. They live where there are no roads, no streets, no water to, that, that flows through pipes. There's, there's, there's no development. They live out in the middle of nothing. And he says, that's where I'm going to be. That's where you feel like you are right now. But I'm going to be there with you. And I'm going to bring rivers that are going to flow through that desert. As I thought about that wilderness area where nothing's been developed, there are no maps. There, nobody, there, there's, there's no signs, nothing. It's just wilderness. As I thought about that, I remembered how many times over the last 12 months have we heard people use the word unprecedented. These are unprecedented times. These are unprecedented events. They, that became our theme word. Well, what that means is this is a wilderness there's no map. We don't know what this looks like. We don't know what to do when we go through times like this. And he says, even in those times, in those kinds of places, I'm going to bring rivers that will refresh you. I'm starting something new. Now, this promise was not originally for us. This was originally for the people of God who had been taken captive into Babylon. However, even though the promise was not originally for us, it does speak to us of God's character, which means that we can pray that God would do it again. Lord God, start something new right here. We hear Isaiah say that God can start something new. And then we hear Joel. Joel says to us, as God speaks through him, Joel says to us that we know God can restore and rebuild. We know God can restore and rebuild. Joel wrote the, the book of, uh, well, he gave his prophecy would be more accurate, but uh, the, the, the prophecy was, was given and the book was written after the people experienced a terrible, devastating invasion of locusts. The locusts came in and wiped out the crops, and it devastated them. Well, Joel then was able to use that as an illustration or a picture. And he was able to say, just like the locusts wiped everything out, God's judgment is coming, and he's, that judgment is going to wipe us out if we don't repent, if we don't turn to him. God's judgment is going to be just as hard as the locust devastation was. And so he describes it for us in the first chapter as he introduces the book in Joel chapter 1 at verse 4. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. And that gets, that gets a little confusing again. There's so many different kinds of locusts. What is he saying? He's saying there's total, de total devastation. What one locust didn't get, the other one did. And he's actually using descriptions of the life cycle of the locust. You know, the locust is, um, there's hundreds of thousands of eggs that are laid. And then out of these hundreds of thousands of eggs, and this is of a whole swarm, but 
the whole swarm would lay all these eggs, and out of these eggs then would come larvae. Well, larvae are just like caterpillars or worms, but they have to eat. And so as soon as they hatch, they start eating the crops. And then before too long, those larvae, uh, they start to grow a little bit, and they get these little bitty wings. Well, the little bitty wings are not big enough or strong enough to help them fly, but they can kind of hop around. And so with these little bitty wings, they start hopping around and they eat whatever the larva hasn't, hasn't eaten yet. And then before too long, those little bitty critters with little bitty wings, they grow into bigger critters with bigger wings and bigger legs. And by now they look like what you and I might think of, uh, think of a, a grasshopper. And that describes what they called locusts. Uh, grasshoppers got those great big back legs that lets them jump really high and really far and they've got those wings so that they can fly around and so these are the swarming locusts and they just wipe out whatever's left so it's through the life cycle they wipe out everything now also remember that for when that happens we're not talking about one crop because when they take out the crop they also take out the seeds and in that time they depended on the seeds from this year's crop to plant next year's crop. You know, today, certain crops we replant every year. We, we go buy new seed every year. Well, they couldn't do that. That's not the way it worked. They had the seed from this crop to plant for the next year's crop. But when the locusts wiped out the plants and the seed, there was nothing for next year either. And so we're not talking about one kind of a oops crop. This is two or three multiple years of devastation. And so Joel says, just like that experience that we went through, God's judgment is coming if we don't get right with him. And so he said in the next chapter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 24, he said, the threshing floors shall be full of grain the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. He says the army is going to come in. Now this is, uh, the locusts were not sent by God necessarily, perhaps, but we don't know that. This is just a natural disaster that happened. But Joel says, just like that happened, God is going to send an army to us if we don't repent. And then sure enough, he did send an army, and that army did indeed wipe them out. But after they were wiped out, God said to them, hey, I'm starting something new. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to rebuild you. And and." Soon the threshing floor will be full of grain again. It is a promise that he can restore and rebuild. We know that one way or another, at one time or another, God will always do what he says he will do. And indeed, what he promised through Joel and other prophets did come true. He did restore Israel. He did rebuild just like he said he would, which means that you and I can trust him as well. 
there was a lawyer who walked who was walking down the street he had on his lawyer suit and he was looking lawyer uh, classy and he you know he he was he had his lawyer shoes and he was just looking really fine walking down the street he came across a beggar beggar had on dirty clothes and clothes that had probably been worn by five people before he wore them and holes in them and dirt everywhere and he smelled bad he had a beard everywhere you know and the lawyer stopped and he looked a guy in the eyes he said don't i know you and the beggar said well you should we were classmates in law school together and the lawyer recognized his old friend he said, don't tell me what happened. Don't worry about the past. But here, I'm going to write you a check. Wrote him a check for $1,000. Said, use this to, to get back on your feet. He walked off. The beggar had tears in his eyes, and he, he said, well, this is my new start. This is my new chance. He put that check in his pocket, in his shirt pocket. And he started to go into the bank, and as he went into the bank, they had those reflective kind of windows, you know. And as he walked up, he saw himself in that reflective window. Dirty clothes, holes in the clothes, beard everywhere, nasty hair. He said, you know what, if I go in there, they're not going to believe me. They'll, they'll think I just made this up. And so he just tucked it back in his shirt pocket and walked back to his corner. The next day, the lawyer friend came by again, saw his friend. He said, dude, I gave you $1,000. Why are you still here like this? He said, did you gamble it away? Did you drink it all up? What happened? And the beggar told the story. He said, no, I just knew they wouldn't believe me because the way I look, the way I am. And the lawyer said, man, you don't understand. That check is not good because of the way you look or the way you are. That check is good because it's got my signature on it. You go to the bank and cash that check. And God says, I promised I would restore. No, you don't deserve it. No, you haven't earned it. No, when you look at yourself, you know you're not good enough for it. But it ain't about you. I put my signature on the check. It's about me. And God says, I keep my promises. You cash the check. Now again, this promise was not originally intended for us. But it shows us God's character. And it tells us that we can pray for him to do it again. Isaiah said, he's going to start something new. Water's going to flow through the desert. Joel said he's going to restore and rebuild all that the locusts took away. We lost a lot in 2020. We've lost a lot. But I'm convinced that God can, that he wants to, that he plans to restore and rebuild among us. We can pray for him to do it again. And then finally and quickly, we hear the third, ver the third voice, Hosea. And Hosea says, or God says through Hosea, we know that God 
can revive us again. God can revive us. He can start something new. He can restore and rebuild. And he can revive us. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Bring up, uh, break, sorry, break up your fallow ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord. That he may come and rain righteousness on you. He says, folks, here's, here's the time. Here's what you need to do. Sow for yourselves righteousness. To sow is to plant. Invest righteousness. Love people. Plant the seeds of good deeds in the lives of one another. Do the right thing, the caring thing, the loving thing. Because if, if you learn to plant those seeds of righteousness, then you enjoy you reap his steadfast love. Now, understand, and, and get this real clear, you're not earning his love. It's not do good and he'll love you. The reality is he loves you no matter what. It's a steadfast love. But the problem is you don't experience it. You don't understand it. You don't get it unless you're right with him. So you seed the, the seeds, you, you plant the seeds of righteousness. You live life the way he wants you to live. You are God's man, God's woman, God's kid. And when you live that way, you put yourself in a position to understand, to experience his love. And we wind up living the basics. We're loving people and we're loving God. Hosea called the people to that. He said, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. He said, break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord. The fallow ground is that uncultivated, neglected piece of land. It hasn't been plowed. It hasn't been worked on. It's just, it just lays there. We say it lays fallow. And over time, that ground can get real hard. Not only does it get hard, but it gets covered with weeds. So what you do with fallow ground to be able to use it again, you got to plow it up. If you throw seeds on top of that fallow ground, you're not going to have a very good crop. What you do is you got to plow that up. you got to break up the fallow ground. So what used to be hard is now soft, and what used to be full of weeds is now been cleaned up. Hosea calls us to that. He says, look at your hard heart and your hard head and soften them up a little bit. And while you're at it, repent. Get rid of the weeds that are polluting your life. Repent of whatever that stuff is that's getting in the way. Hosea says, sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up the fallow ground because it is the time to seek the Lord. 26 years ago, God used this very verse to call me to First Baptist West. He said, not, not in an audible voice, but I understood his leading through this verse. 
the church had gone through some very hard times. The ground was fallow. Now, at that time, the church was under the leadership of a fantastic interim pastor whom I have learned to love and is actually a hero in, in the ministry to me. But before that interim pastor came, the church was, had struggled for some time, quite a while. The ground was fallow. And the Lord said to me, it's time for us to go break up the fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord. And I think he is saying that to us again. It is time to seek the Lord. Stop looking at the politicians. Stop looking at all the craziness on social media. I'm not saying turn social media off. I'm just saying stop focusing on the craziness. Stop looking at each other with eyes of distrust or hate. Stop listening to the news media for all of your faith and trust and understanding of life. Seek the Lord. 2020 has been full of distractions. All of these different things that I've listed, plus a hundred others, have been saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Hosea says to us this morning, it's time to seek the Lord. He is the one who deserves our attention. Break up that fallow ground, beloved. Soften the heart. Open the mind. Rip out the weeds that are polluting your life. That's repentance. And seek the Lord. The time, he says, is now. Again, this promise was not originally for us, but it does show us God's character. And we can pray that God would do it again. God, we know you can revive us. Would you? Revive us again. That's what David prayed. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? We used to sing that prayer, you remember? We used to sing a similar prayer. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. We know God can start something new. We know God can restore and rebuild. We know God can revive. Lord, would you do it again? 